Uh, I have Pastor Mike visiting with us tonight. Pastor Mike, it's good to see you. You're most welcome. Amen. You'll be hearing from him June 15th. That's our special guest speaker for Father's Day celebration. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Tonight I'm going to start on a series of uh, teaching uh, from the book of Hebrews. I have longed and looked forward to this day when we can really take this book. Uh, this is one book that as God gives us understanding will clearly show us the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is just no one else that can be compared with him. Uh, but to see the accounts of the scripture itself bring this truth to light to us, I think we are in for a wonderful, wonderful adventure and journey in the Holy Spirit. So, tonight, uh, let me just give a little uh, brief introduction and we're going to get into chapter 1. There has been a lot of debate as to who authored the book of Hebrews. Uh, the author here is not clearly as, uh, as uh, what shall I say, it's not as clear as some of the other books. Uh, for instance, in the epistles, in the Pauline epistles, Paul will clearly identify himself at the very beginning to let you know who is writing. Uh, but in the case of the book of Hebrews, it is not so. So there are many various school of thoughts as to whom you have written this book. And I just want to throw this out. It's nothing to break bones over. If you believe that your father wrote it, that's fine. If you believe your uncle wrote it, it's all right. <laughs> but I'm just telling you what the scholars have said about the authorship of the book of Hebrews. Some think the style of writing fits more into the style of Luke. The person who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts Others think perhaps it was written by Apollos. Apollos, the Bible describes to us, even Paul gave a testimony that it was very eloquent. And so they say perhaps maybe he wrote it. But a majority of people think, though, that this book was written by Apostle Paul. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's written for our account, and we thank God for it. Amen? Amen. <laughs> now, so that settles the authorship. The audience, it's important. If we're going to understand the message of this book, we need to understand the primary audience to which the book was written and perhaps why it was written to them. This book was written to the early Jewish believers. This is very important. It was written to the early Jewish believers who were being persecuted and thinking of returning to Judaism. Now, there's a good point that must be made for that. You see, you and I, when we talk about the Old Testament, New Covenant, uh, New Testament, we talk about it, we debate about it, we learn about it, but we really have never lived under the true dispensation of the Old Covenant. By that I mean, you and I never at any time, as a believer, how to take a turtle dove to the temple. You didn't have to offer a ram in the temple. You didn't have to buy a goat in the temple. You didn't have to go through the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament covenant. None of that. We read of that, but we never went through it. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, sir. 
But the persons to whom the book of Hebrews was written, you must remember that they went through those sacrificial, service, uh, sacrificial uh, uh, ceremony, uh, ceremonies and worship system. They were at one time a part of that. And now, since Jesus has died, buried and resurrected, they are now part of the new covenant. So for them, they have two vivid kingdom experiences. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? So for them, it's not just something that was written or they were told about something. There was a day and time where they actually went, killed a ram, a goat, a turtle dove. That was their lifestyle. And you must remember, while they did that, God sanctioned it. That was the dispensation of their time, of that day, sanctioned by God. And as a result, they were right with God for that season. So now Jesus has come crucified, buried, raised from the dead. Now they are being ushered into a new dispensation, a new covenant relationship. But still living in an era where they could hear all the Judaizers, all the Jewish people, still going to the temple, still offering sacrifices, and perhaps knocking on their door and saying, Abbie, can you go tomorrow? Oh, I don't know if you guys are getting what I'm saying. I want to make sure you get it. You're getting it. Their neighbors who did not cross over to the New Testament were still doing what they used to do. They saw it every week, every day. They knew them. They talked to them. They met in the marketplace. It was commonplace. They understood that they had broken away from that old practice. But there were many people around them that were still doing that. So for them, every day, they had a reminder. Somebody was challenging them. You are in the wrong thing. You need to come back with us. We've done this for 20 years, for 40 years. Your grandfather was here. Your great-grandfather before that was doing this. Why are you doing this new thing? So you need to understand the setting. If you don't understand the setting, you might not appreciate the message. Are you following me? This is so critical because we read the book with the blinders and the mindset of today. Not realizing that it was written primarily to a people who were struggling. They used to live in one, one kind of way. Now the gospel of grace came to them. They are born again and now they are living in this other way. But they still have the vestiges of the old way all around them. The priests were still walking around. The animal sacrifices were still taking place. The temple worship was still going on. And so now they were a minority. Amen? This was the setting. And these were the people to which the book of Hebrews was primarily written. And we also now, by extension, can take from what God has written in this book and, and, and use it to validate why are you a believer? Why are you not worshiping idols? Why are you not worshiping the moon, the stars? Why are you not offering sacrifices? Why are you not in the new age? Why are you not a part of the Mormon church? Why are you not a Jehovah's Witness? There are so many options available to us. But the writer wants to nail it down so you know without a shadow of doubt 
that the Lord Jesus Christ is who he said he is. So, we have the authorship settled. We've explained the audience. The message is very simple. The message is saying to us that Jesus Christ is superior to the Levitical system. Oh, hallelujah. The message is simple. To show and to reveal, to convince, to help us to understand the supremacy of what you want to have as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is superior to anything else you can ever think of. Period. Amen? So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Look at how it starts. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed here of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This book sets to make the main thing. In, in other words, what, what the writer here is trying to do is, to, is that the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. And I said a mouthful there. Keeping the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Keeping the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Keeping the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ. I really want that to set it up. Because now the first three verses of this chapter does nothing but to help introduce to us the main thing. <laughs> God, look at verse 1, who at various times in the various ways spoke in a time past told the fathers by the prophets. So the first thing this author seeks to establish was that God had spoken. And he explained to us that God has spoken in various times in the past to the fathers through, to the, through the prophets. So let's just think for a moment and consider the ways in which God has spoken to us. First of all, God spoke and still speaks through his creation. Psalms 19. Verses 1, 2, 3. The Bible talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello? Romans 1, 20. It talks about how creation talks to us. In fact, that Psalms 19 tells us that the creation and the heavens speaks utter speech. Day and night, the Bible says. So God spoke through his creation. Then God spoke through 
the conscience of human beings. Even while we were yet sinners, unbelievers, something within you tells you when you cross the line. You didn't need a book to tell you that. Something within you tells you this is a violation. Now, you may not hate to it. You didn't pay attention to it, but you knew. Something lets you know, man, I did this. I don't, I don't know anybody that's robbed a bank and goes to church and testify that they robbed a bank. Nobody that commits fornication comes to church and says, you know what, Pastor Abic, I want to, let me tell you what I did last night. I violated that girl. Nobody, I mean, something tells you you are wrong. That's conscience. So creation speaks, conscience speaks, and then the angels, they spoke. And it's important for us to know this, to, to pay attention to this, because the Jews, they were big on angels. I'm going to talk about that later. I'm going to save that later. So the creation speaks to us. The conscience speaks to us. The angel speaks to us. And then the prophets. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to speak to Israel. Now, the point being made here with all of these various modes of speaking that you and I should pay attention to now about what I'm about, about to say. Let me read this verse again. I'm going to make the point. God, who at various times and in various ways, and we just mentioned the names, the ways now, in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Question. If you spoke to us through creation, through our conscience, if the angels brought messages, and if the prophet spoke, why is there any need for any other person to speak? Answer is very simple. I'm not trying to be dramatic here. The point is, even though all these various ways were used by God to speak to mankind, for the most part, Whatever they were saying were not discernible by us. I do not know anybody. How many, how, many, how many people woke up and saw the stars and the moon and said, man, I need to get born again. You knew something was out there. But for some reason, the message was not as clear to you and I as to why those things are out there and what you needed to, you needed to do to respond. In fact, in First Peter chapter one, let me, let, let's go there together. First Peter chapter one, verses ten through thirteen. Look at what Peter says: Of this salvation, their prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that will come to you, searching. What or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels 
desire to look into. So what I'm saying is, the prophets that spoke for God, they were speaking, they didn't know what they were talking about. Angels were sent on assignment, but they had no clue. They, they were just messengers. They didn't have a total revelation of what was happening. Prophets who speak by the inspiration of God, but the fact that they spoke does not mean they understood everything they were talking about. God just used their mouth. They opened it, he filled it, they spoke, they went about their business. Angels were designed, man, why is God so concerned about these people? They had no idea. They carried the message. They went on God's errand, but they were not clearly in the revelation of God's total redemptive plan for mankind. The creation speaks. Our conscious talks. Angels carried assignments. Prophets spoke. But from what we just read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, even though these things were happening, they were not discernible by those to whom they were either sent or by those even who carried the message. So they had small parts or small bits, but they didn't have the total revelation. But in these last days, God has now chosen that he will not necessarily reduce his message just to his creation or conscience or angels or prophets, even though these are still avenues through which God speaks. But what the Bible is telling us in the book of Hebrews is God has now decided to speak to us through his son. In other words, let me make it plain and make it simple. Let's make the main thing the main thing about the main thing, Jesus. In other words, what God is saying to us is everything you ever want to know about God, who he is, what his plans are, how he acts, what he does, his will, his ways, everything is now packaged. You see his son, you get the all the revelation. It's all now in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the main thing. So he speaks through his son. If you ever have any question about anything, and we're going to talk more about this on Sunday morning, it's mind-blowing. If you want to know how to do, what to do, in a particular situation, find out how Jesus did it. It's just that simple. He speaks to us through his son. Now, let me give us seven characteristics of this son based on the writer of Hebrews. Based on the writer of Hebrews. So again, we see that he has, in this last day, spoken to us by his son. So now, the writer of Hebrews, from verse 2 now, begins to tell us, who is this son? What are the major characteristics of this son? This one that we are making to become the main thing, he wants to tell us, he wants to paint a picture, a broad picture of who this son is. So number one, he tells us, whom he has appointed here of all things. So this son through which God speaks to us today is the inheritor of all things. 
Everything the father owns has been willed to him. That's number one. That's the first thing he tells us. Now, why should we be concerned about this? Why or why is this a big deal to these early Jewish believers? Why should that mean anything to them? Okay, so he's the inheritor for all things. Big deal. So Pastor Abike inherits uh, uh, Rockefeller's uh, fortune. Big deal. Hopefully he pays tithe. <laughs> but other than that, how should that interest me? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Remember the first characteristic, characteristic I gave you is that he's the inheritor and of all things and that his father, God, has willed everything to him. Okay. Ephesians 1, 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Wow. What is the Bible saying to us? What is the Bible saying to us? Maybe I should read a couple of more scriptures before I, before I, before I, before I break it open. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 verse 38. It says, The field is in the world, and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tears are the sons of the wicked ones. So, who is the field? Thank you. Thank you. The field is the world. Okay. Now look at verse 44. Same chapter, Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, what, who did we say the field was earlier? The world. You're right, the world. So now, you are seeing the parable here now where this guy finds this field and for joy, that treasure is hidden in the field, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Okay? I said to you that Hebrews 1, 2 says that Jesus Christ is the heir for all things and therefore is the inheritor of God and that God has willed everything to him and by extension and by looking at scripture and comparing scripture with scripture, Ephesians 1 verse 18, Matthew 13 verse 38 and verse 44 we just read, you and I are the treasure and the inheritance that Jesus saw for which he sold everything he had 
and purchase so he can have us. When the Bible calls him the inheritor or the heir of all things, we are the will. We are the riches. Oh my God. If you want to know how rich God is, look at yourself. You are his inheritance. This is mind-boggling that God will look at you and I. And even though you may not think you are anything, you may not think you are much or big or whatever, God says, you don't understand. In 1 Peter, the Bible talks about how me and you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. King James says, a peculiar treasure. Another translation says, a special people. That we may show for the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I told you over the last two weeks, stop looking at yourself from a human perspective. You need to start looking at yourself from God's perspective. God said, I chose you. In other words, I had a choice. After considering all the options and looking at all my, uh, all my options, all the options that are available to me, at the end of the day, I chose you. You are not an accident. You are a deliberate, intelligent choice in the mind of your maker. He chose you, he said. Made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and said, you know what? You are a special treasure. That's why he gave up everything to purchase you and I. Huge. For me, reading this and understanding this, it takes care of every self-esteem problem. I don't care how many people are telling you you have an accent they can't understand. Tell them God understands your accent. I don't care how many times you are raped, violated, Look down upon. Let them know. Let the persons know. Convince yourself. Make yourself recognize as far as God is concerned, you are special. Amen. It does not matter what people have labeled you with. You are God's inheritance for crowd loud. That is huge. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to prison. It doesn't matter how many offenses you've committed. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what's been done to you. When it comes to self-esteem, God says, I esteem you highly. So much so, I'll sell everything I have to make sure I get you. Oh, glory to God. Man, lift up your hands and just bless God. Thank you, Father God. We didn't deserve this. We didn't earn this. But in your goodness, in your loving kindness, out of your mercy, by your grace, you have purchased us. You have brought us near unto yourself. And so, Father, we say thank you. We say blessed be the name of the Lord God Most High. Thank you, Father God, for your everlasting love upon us. We receive your word. We thank you for it. We bless your name for it, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Glory be to God. Just remember that and encourage yourself with that. My goodness. Rahab was a harlot. High class harlot. Prostitute. Oh yeah, high class because 
She owned the apartment by the, by the city gate. Those were high priority areas. I mean, I mean, you, you have to have some. You have to have good substance. You can't get a, a like it used to say in those days, a crib in, a, in the gate in the gate of the city. <laughs> That's where she was functioning from. But when God sent spies and she got the message of redemption, she abandoned her trade of ignominy and chose to follow God. And what did God do to reward her? She came into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me what God cannot do. Don't tell me that your past will, will hold you back from being what God has called you to be. And God was not ashamed to call her, her Rahab and put her in the genealogy. You and I may dodge when we say her in the store. Say, ah, that's Rahab. Let's, let, let, me, let me take a dog. But God didn't do that. Not only was he not ashamed of her, put her name in the book. Why? Because she is part of God's inheritance. Just as you and I are tonight. So number one, characteristic here, we see him as the inheritor of all things. Number two, let me get back, Hebrews chapter one. So he's, he has, whom he has appointed us all, here for all things. Number two here, through whom also he made the world. Number two thing we say about him is the creator. He's the creator. So this author was making the argument, convincing these early Jewish believers, listen, you have not made a wrong choice. You are serving God who is speaking through his son Jesus and his son is the inheritor of all things, number one. Number two, he's the creator of all things. Nothing was made that was made except that he made it. Well, somebody said, well, pastor, what do you mean? I thought God made the world. In the beginning, God. Yes, God made the world. That word God in Genesis chapter 1 is the plural word Elohim, which simply talks about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each one of them had their role in creation. The Father was the architect, drew the plan. The Son was the contractor, if you will. And the Holy Spirit, the artisan, who made it happen. All three persons of the Godhead reading from the same blueprint, working together to make it happen. So when you think about what's happening on in the world, don't let your heart be afraid. Jesus said, John 14, let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God, believe us in me. The world is going nowhere. Why? Why do I know that? He made it. He's the creator. Not only is he the creator, number two, number three here, we are told he upholds everything. Well, I'm going ahead of myself here. Let me, let me, let me, let me, okay, let me follow the book. Okay, Hebrews chapter two, verse three. So number one, we are told he's the inheritor. Number two, he's the creator. Number three, who, in verse three, Hebrews one, three, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of his glory. If you ever want to see the glory of God, if you want to know how bright that glory is, you cannot look further than the Lord Jesus Christ. So number three characteristic here is, is the radiator of the glory of God. Is the radiator. Now you may find another word to describe that. That's fine. That's my limitation in the English language. 
That's the best I can do. He's the radiator of the glory of God. And a couple of times in the, in the Gospels, you saw that clearly. Matthew chapter 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus standing with Elijah and Moses beside him. And the Bible said, it shone so bright. That's who he is. That's who he is. Any one of us who fully immerses ourselves in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can never be devoid of joy. People will see you and say, man, you are radiant. Why are you always smiling? Why are you always radiant? What's, what's the glow all over you? It's not you. It's the Jesus in you. They can but see it. It's the brightness of the glory of God. The best way to describe it for you guys who are Bible scholars would be to go back to the tabernacle. We're in the outer court, and I don't want, don't want to lose anybody. If you don't understand what I'm saying, just put it by the side. Don't worry about it. The sun provides the, sun, the illumination in the outer court. In the holy place, it was the candlesticks. But in the third room and the most holy place, there was no sun's illumination. There was no candlestick illumination. Only the brightness of God's Shekinah glory. That's what we're talking about. There is a radiance that Jesus has that can be imparted and transferred to you and I so that even in the midst of darkness, you have light. The Bible says the entrance of the word. Who is the word? Jesus. He gives light. And he brings understanding. Very simple. The psalmist says the word of God will be like a light unto our path. So this brightness describes the radiance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to us tonight, the more we get closer to him, the more we get to know him, not only will it be radiant, but we'll have that radiance in our lives as well. It is available. People will see you and say, wow, you're carrying something. I want it. Is the inheritor? Is the creator? Is the radiator? And I'm not talking about the one you can go and buy in AutoZone. <laughs> Don't go to AutoZone. I want, it, I want the radiator from Hebrews 2 3. They're going to run you out of the place. <laughs> Amen. Jesus is the light of the world. That's what we're saying by being the radiator. And he wants to light up your world. Number four Hebrews 3. I mean, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Who being the brightest of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image of his person is talking about the nature of God or the representer of who God is. So this writer is trying to convey to these believers, hey, listen, this son through which God is speaking today, he inherits everything, created everything. Is the, is, the, is the radiance of who God is. But not only that, he is the image of God or the representation of God or the nature of God. If you ever want to know what the nature of God is, look at him. Huge. In John chapter 14, in verse 9, I believe it is, the disciples were talking to Jesus and trying to find out uh, who the father was. Jesus said, really? You want to know who the father is? You've been with me this long and you still, you still asking for the father? You see me? You see him. He's the image of the father. And hopefully what God is trying to accomplish in our world today 
is that as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. In other words, people should be able to see you and I, and we should be able to become truly, Romans 8, the manifestation of the sons of God in the earth. So the imagery we're talking about would not just be something that's reduced to a book or a textbook, but it will be lived out as we touch people on a day-to-day basis in our interactions with people. They will see us. They'll say, oh, wow, I just, see God. I just saw God. That's the truth. I believe it was last Wednesday. I was not uh, in the sanctuary, but I was told that you guys had a little exercise where you were trying to find out who is like God among, among the folks. Should we revisit that exercise? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I got a message. But the point I'm making is, people in our jobs, people in our businesses, people in our homes, if they don't ever read the Bible, they should be able to say, ah, my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, my friend, who are believers, I've seen them, I've seen God. We are the written epistle read by all men. That's God's plan. It's not trying to keep the image in the heavenly somewhere hidden where you need some mystical power to unlock and see it. No. I should be able to engage with you in a five-minute conversation and live edified. I was tired before I began the conversation, but when I left, I said, man, I have enough strength. I can go and climb Stone Mountain. Why? There was a transfer and a deposit of God's life given to me through that exchange. The image of God. You and I were created in God's image and likeness. So the DNA of God was in us. Amen? Inheritor. Creator. Radiator, nature of God. Number five characteristic. Hebrews chapter one still. In verse three, we are told he upholds all things by the word of his power. So Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Everything. Everything. He sustains it. Now, when we throw out these words, when we say he sustains all things by the word of his power, the true meaning can be lost to us if we don't really understand what's all around us. When you think of all these planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxy, I can't even begin to tell you the computation of how many miles we are from the sun, from the moon, and how they rotate, and uh, how, what, the, what, the, what the time of the rotation. I mean, when, when, you, when you begin to get this understanding, you, just, you, you have to be amazed that who keeps these things in place? I mean, wh- why is it that one day we just don't say the sun just stops, I mean, the, the sun, the sun stops shining? It's over. Or the moon does not light. Have you ever heard of that? What hangs all of these things in its orbits and keep on ticking all these years? 
as destructive as man is, we can touch it. Someone is upholding all of these things in spite of our curiosity. We get in a rocket, we go to the Mars or to the moon or whatever. We still can't do anything else. We can't destroy it. Oh my goodness. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. What is sustaining you tonight? Who sustains your family? Who sustains your finance? Who's holding you in parenting? Who's helping you do all of these things? It's only God. It's only God. What is holding your world together? Why have you not lost your mind? In spite of all the challenges and the issues and the situations. What is holding our world together? Only God. Only God. So this writer was trying to convey to these Jewish believers, listen, you remove this equation, you are finished. Number six characteristic. Hebrews chapter one. Verse four now, I believe. No, no, no. Stay in verse three. Not only does he uphold all things by the word of his power, Oh my God, there's a lot more that could be said about that, really. Because he does not uphold them by any energy other than by his word. <laughs> Think about that, man. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? By his word. I, I just thought about that for a minute. By his word. That's all he uses. He speaks it, it happens. You know, as human beings, I may have an edge. Maybe, 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 maybe I'm Apple and I make iPads or iPhone or I'm Samsung. I have iPhones or tablets or whatever. I hold a technological edge and I make sure that my computer don't see it. I hide it. Because as long as I have the edge, I have a market advantage. Coca-Cola. No, people that work there don't know the formula. They're making it, but they don't know the formula. Why? Because they don't want to give up their market advantage. They don't want anybody else to do what they're doing. Is that the way God is? He upholds all things by the word of his power. So what does he do? He gives you another same word. Oh my goodness. That's another place to just bless God. God is not withholding anything from us. He says, listen, the way I'm doing it, I'm going to give it to you so you can do the same thing. Create your own world through my word. What are you looking for? What do you want to see happen? The same word that he has used to create what you are living in, he says, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to empower you to be able to do what I have done. Oh my God, Father, I just bless you. I praise your name. That you are not an egocentric God. You are not selfish. You are not self-centered. You have given us that same power, ability to accomplish as you did. You said greater works than this shall we do. Why? Because you went to your father. And so father we just thank you tonight that we will not take your word lightly. We will not, we will not trample over it. Lord God I bless you that your word will accomplish through us and in us what is done for you. Thank you father God that you will hasten over your word to perform it. 
your word in our lives will not return unto us without accomplishing the purpose for which it is sent. Thank you, Father, for the word. That same word with which you keep the earth and the world intact and, and continuous. We receive that same word now. We thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Whew, man. Ma, 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 ma. Upholding all things by the word of his power. Let me just finish this seven and then we can wrap it up because time is gone. Number six characteristic is the purifier. It's the purifier. Hebrews 1.3 there it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. is a purifier. Again, remember the audience to which he was speaking to primarily are Jewish believers who, in the time past, had been to the temple, offered sacrifices that could not atone for sins, but just cover it. And the sins were atoned for by the sacrificial animal of that time. So now this writer is saying, no, our sins are not covered. They are purged. Amen. Oh my goodness. You guys, please just give, just give me a high five. I beg you. Because I, 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 I don't think you guys have what I just said. You see, if I covered it, I can uncover it. But if I purge it, it is gone. <laughs> man, man, man. Only God knows how many animals had been sacrificed by the people that were hearing this message. So immediately, they heard this. They knew what this was saying to them. By himself. Purged. He didn't send somebody else. He did not put it in the hand of, uh, of, of anybody else who said, please go and help me do this. He could have done that. He could have sent an angel or sent somebody else. But this writer wanted to make the point. The one that who helps everything, the one who created everything, the one who upholds everything, is the same person who by himself purged your sins. So if you owe any gratitude to anyone, it is not to those priests in Jerusalem. Who themselves needed help. But this one, the son through which God speaks today, is the one who by himself purged our sins. Ah, oh, Father God, I thank you. I, if I had 10,000 tongues, I could not thank you enough. Thank you for lifting a burden, destroying a yoke, God removing the remembrance of sins. Purging me totally, completely by the power of your blood. You did not send somebody else, but you did it yourself. That's how important and how well you esteem me. You came yourself. Lord, I thank you. In Jesus' name. Man, man, man. I don't know about you guys, man. If this guy is selling weed in Colorado, we'll just taste some of these things we are hearing. They get out of the weed business. <laughs> they come and get high on Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, glory to God. One last one, and then we, I, I'm not going to finish this chapter. 
Uh, but let's just do this last characteristic and we can just go home. Hebrews 1.3. So by himself purged our sins. And lastly here, in describing him for us, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Is the inheritor. Is the creator. Is the radiator. Is the nature of God. Is the sustainer of all things. Is the purifier. And last but not the least, we are told, is the ruler. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And I just want to leave us tonight with an understanding or an idea of how Jesus rules. Because when we use the word rulership or ruling, immediately we think of our job situation, we think of the hierarchical system, I'm on the apex of the organization, I rule everybody below me, I dominate everybody in my downline, that's not what Jesus does. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Now notice this next sentence. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? How does he rule? He rules by praying for you. (laughs) If you can learn leadership 101 to rule, to have leadership, to have authority is not to just tell people, go here, go there, come here, come there. No. How does he just do it? Is sitting at the right hand of God. What is he sitting to do? Is he sitting just so angels can say, holy, holy, holy? Yes, that's going on. But beyond that, is making intercession. Father, help them. Father, bless them. Father, lift them up. Father, all everything you said concerning them, make it real. So when we are in rulership, we must be mindful of those that we are serving. And keep them on the breastplate of our hearts. In praying for them. In blessing them. The things you see that's not right in them. It's not for you to crush them. But rather for you to lift those things to God. Say, God, John Doe needs this adjustment. By your grace, God, would you make this happen? That's what it means to do. That's how Jesus is ruling. That's what he wants to convey to you and I. Rulership by intercession. Spend some time on your knees for those that you serve. And see if God will not change things about them. Or in them. Or through them. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So Father, we want to thank you again for this introductory message on the book of Hebrews. We pray that the seed of your word has been sown in our hearts. We'll find good soil to grow. So that the manifestation you are seeking for sons of God in the earth can begin to take place in our lives. We honor you. Bless your people as they go home. Thank you for your journey in mercies. We thank you and we bless you now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Come back next Wednesday.